Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to the Victor Davis Hansen Show. This is the Friday News Roundup, and we've got lots on the agenda. Mayorkas impeachment failed, the border bill failed, which we were happy about, and lots of stories about Trump and his ver- various cases, so we'll have a look into that. Um, stay with us, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back. Um, I would like to remind everybody, and those who are new, Victor is the Martin and Illy Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution, and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He also has a website, victorhanson.com. Please come join us there. It's called The Blade of Perseus, and you will not be able to get into the ultra- VDH Ultra articles without a subscription. So we encourage everybody to subscribe. Those Ultra articles come out three times a week. So definitely lots of topics such as current political events, war, and also modern agriculture. So please come join us. Well, Victor, we have Mayorkas, I think at the top of the billing, Mayorkas, who was up for impeachment, that impeachment failed, and four of our Republicans did not vote to impeach him. And that was very strange. Do you have any insight into it? Yeah, I I do. Um, It's very rare to impeach a cabinet. Uh, I think it's only happened once or twice, but in Mallorca's case, he deserves it because he, I, I understand that he's carrying out the agenda of Joe Biden, but when you have one, two, three, four million, five, six, seven, eight, and we're going to have 10 before this bunch is through, this is a deliberate act to destroy federal immigration laws. We know it destroy the border that was secure that they inherited and for what reason and I can give you five or six alternatives is it to have long-term demographic changes in the sense that people will come in illegally their children then will be citizens 
and some of you, and they will vote. Or some of you will say, no, 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 Victor. 70% of people are voting absentee, mail-in, or early voting, and the error rate has dived. It's not that hard to go to any state agency in any state and get a mail-in ballot sent to your address. In fact, it's the law in some states. These people will be voting in the 2024 election. Or is the idea more nebulous the more you bring in? Joe Biden and the Democrats are already talking about $500 a person in New York. Uh, Gavin Newsom, $500 million, more million for health care for illegal aliens. So I guess the idea is to grow the great society entitlement state, tax more the filthy rich, more redistribution, or is it more of a nebulous globalist idea that we don't need borders, that if you just destroy them, they'll disappear forever? It's like the Roman Empire doesn't need the Danube and the Rhine. Look, it was much better in the 6th and 7th century AD than it was in the 2nd and 3rd. And by the way, people have argued that, uh, just incidentally. So I don't know what the reason is, but if he, he was a federal servant who took an oath to execute the laws, and he didn't do it, and he did that deliberately. So he would be impeached. But then it brings up another question. They own the majority in the House, they being the Republicans. When the Democrats wanted to stop this impeachment, they brought a, one member in on a stretcher. And what do the Republicans do, whether it's the Speaker with McCarthy or whether it's signing up with this crazy Mitch McConnell bill? They, they never get united. They have no cohesiveness. So four people say what? And, and some of them, you know, I, I've spoken for uh, Representative McClinton, and I, Gallagher is a very good guy. But don't they understand that there is an over need to show solidarity because you have Steve Scalise was not there but you only have a five to six vote margin if you break ranks in a way that Democrats never do you'll never get anything done so whatever your high principles are about not setting a precedent of impeaching cabinet members it, it pales in comparison with the need to show solidarity because you're going, if you're going to do anything and stop this socialist project, you have to stick together. And they, they, they didn't do it with the, the Speaker. They brought in Repu uh, Democrats to warp the selection of the Republican Speaker of the House. And now they're more, they, they went after George Santos. I understand he's an inveterate liar, but ask yourself very carefully, do the Democrats get rid of Senator Mendez with gold bars and lush lucre all over his apartment and house? No, they don't do it. Do they go after the, what was it, Representative Bowman? Is that what his name was? Who sent the, who let off the fire alarm and deliberately lied about it under oath? No, they don't go after him. It's only Republicans that, that say that we have to get rid of Santos because he's a liar and if we don't, we're what? We're one person short. And you would have you would have had that vote, and you would have impeached, and that would have sent a message to the country, you're not going to tolerate a federal executive deliberately destroying the laws of the United States. So the other thing is precedent. I heard this, Gallagher, McClintock, we don't want to send a precedent. Where have you people been? 
Let me just give you some precedents that you people in Congress slept through. There's now a precedent that you can impeach a president two times. Are you worried about that? There is now a precedent that you can try a president who has been impeached as a private citizen. Are you worried about that? There is now a precedent that you can remove a opposition candidate from the ballot. Are you upset about that? There is now a precedent that the Speaker of the House, i.e. Nancy Pelosi drove, that the Speaker of the House can refuse the nominations on committees of the minority party leader, like Kevin McCarthy failed to get the people that he had nominated on the January 6th committee. Said you got two people, Kinzinger and Cheney, and they had two things in common. They were politically inert and had no political future, and they had voted to impeach Trump. And that's a precedent now. There is a precedent that they gave us that if you're in power and you have a majority, the filibuster is taboo. If you're in the minority and out of power, it's absolutely essential. So what I'm getting at is for the last five, six, seven years, they have been breaking precedent after. What is the idea? What was the move about getting rid of the Electoral College, packing the court, bringing in two states? They discussed all of that. And they actually, as I just mentioned, they reified a lot of these precedents. And now you're worried that if you impeach a cabinet officer who deserves impeachment because he has broken the law deliberately, serially, consecutively, month after month, you're worried about the precedent when every other precedent has been shattered and you haven't said a word or you haven't, it didn't matter if you said a word, you didn't do anything about it. So I, this got a lot of people very angry. It really did. And I'm really angry about it. And it comes on the heels of this other bankrupt attempt that Mitch McConnell tried to sell of a bipartisan immigration bill that said we can let up to 5,000 people in, but we're going to have more uh, facilities and funding to process people. What it really was when you read it, and I read parts of it, was how to streamline and make orderly illegal immigration. So it doesn't bother us. People are not defecating on the ground. Children are not coming in on it. It's going to make it all regular. But there's one missing, there's one missing truth. It's against the law. So you don't need any bill. None of the Republicans needed any bill. They didn't need any money. All they needed was to pressure the Democratic Party that is in extremists right now because they have alienated their black constituencies and their Latino constituencies who are impacted by their, their, their 8 million illegal entries. And all you have to do is say, hmm, you same people that are now blaming Donald Trump, you fought him tooth and nail for four years in the Congress and the liberal courts. And you know what? He finally triumphed over you. And he did four or five things. He stopped catch and release. He made refugee applicants apply for that status in their home nations. He started to fix the wall, and he was ready to start on the new wall. I think he did 25 miles of what was 1,500 miles plus. Okay, and most importantly, 
He went down and told Obadar, if you don't stop this transiting of people from your southern to your northern border, we're going to renegotiate NAFTA and slap a tear off. And we're going to look at the $60 million billion you get, maybe put a $10 billion surcharge and then use the $6 billion to build the wall. And that stopped it. So when COVID hit in February of 2020, there was almost, after 2 million illegal entries that were forced down his throat by the left, they had stopped. But why can't the Democrats understand that it's against the law and the Republican Party is telling them, enforce the law. We don't want to discuss it. We do not want to have circumlocutions around it, talking about it. We don't want all of this massaging. Just enforce the law. It will cost no money. It will require no new legislation. And Donald Trump set a paradigm. Instead, what happened? You know what happened. What was the whole purpose of the Democratic effort? They knew they were not going to get necessarily a majority in the House to pass this. They knew that. But the whole point was to bring attention that the Republicans are stonewalling a bipartisan legislation. Therefore, pause, Joe Biden went on the air an hour later and said, Donald Trump is responsible for illegal immigration. Didn't they see that coming? Are they naive or stupid or foolish or what? All they had to say when they brought up this ridiculous idea is, you let in 8 million people illegally. They are here against the law. Deport them. Deport them all and then obey the law and we'll talk. But until you do that, we're not going to be a party to this illegality. And they couldn't do that. They could not, even though it's a winning issue. There's now three issues. You just look at the Pew poll or the latest Gallup. There are three issues. One is the economy, and they have a winning issue there because all they have to say is, I don't care what the annual inflation rate was. We had the most hyperinflationary period in 40 years under Joe Biden and prices of things that count food, shelter, appliances, car, health insurance fire insurance, home insurance, they've gone up 30% and they haven't gone down. That's a winning issue, along with high interest rates and etc. And number two is crime. That is a winning issue. And number three is guess what? Another Another winning issue is the border. And that's all they have to stick to. Crime, inflation, border. So why would you give them the border issue? I don't understand it. I do not understand it. I, I don't think they recognized what they what they did <laughs> at all. I just think they're completely out of touch. They're mm. completely out of touch. The day that they did this, I went into the local food market and I was in line behind about nine people who didn't speak a word of English, and some of them did not speak very good Spanish. And you know what? They had maybe $500 of groceries, and they had EBT and every type of card you can have. And who was noticing this? Victor? No, no. Everybody around there was angry. And who was angry? Second and third generation Mexican-American people who need assistance. And how were they angry? Why are these, what is going on here? Why are these, what is going on? That's what people were saying. 
And everybody is tired of it. Because you know what it is? It's a diminution of the citizen. And I wrote about it in The Dying Citizen. The citizen has no unique singular rights vis-a-vis the resident, much less the illegal immigrant. If you're here illegally, you do not need a background check. You don't need a vaccine. Tell that to those 8,400 uniformed officers and enlisted people who were drummed out of the military for not having a vaccination. Those same people who kicked them out go down to the border and said, you can't come in. We're afraid of COVID. There's Omicron Z and Delta Y, and they're all coming, and we're going to give everybody boosted ad infinitum. But So you can't... No, they don't say that. And you remember all of the real ID, real ID, you've got to have this, you've got to have your passport, you've got to have a bill showing your residence, and this is really going to clamp down on citizens abusing the... air. No, it doesn't. They're putting people on the airplanes... With, that are here illegally, that are waved through without any ID, not real or otherwise. I could go on, but you see what's going on is it's a move to make citizenship the equivalent of residency. And even that is generous of illegal residency. Illegal residence. And at some point, people are going to have to say, you know what? This is not a country if it has no borders and no laws. It isn't. And, you know, we're $35 trillion in debt. And what I really like about the left is this. I don't like it, but I'm so amused. Every time they say $100 billion for Ukraine is this percent of the budget, and then they say, oh, you know, $3 billion more for illegal aliens, that's just 1%. And they just keep doing that. That add up 1%, half a percent, quarter percent. It adds up. You know, as I think it was Senator Everett Dirksen said, a billion here and a billionaire, and then you got real money. Well, now it's a trillion here and a trillion there, and it's real money. And the people who pay for this don't feel any longer they're getting a good deal in the bargain. They're paying high taxes, and they're getting crappy roads, and they're getting crappy infrastructure, and they're getting crappy schools, and they're getting crappy law enforcement. And they say, why am I doing this? Why am I paying 50% of my income, 55%, depending on the state in which they live, when people are just prancing across the border? And if you even object that we don't have the money to process 8 million people, which is, you know, a million, eight new million-person cities, some of the poorest people in the world with no background check, no legality, no bachelor's degree, no high school diploma, no doubt, no English facility, but it's just the, just a few billion, Victor. Just a few billion. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think this is sustainable. It's. it's no. like, I, I always look back to the fifth century A.D. and the Rhine and Danube were completely overrun, and you could argue that the military culture that grew up along the Danube and it was kind of like Mexifornia. It was neither Mexico or California. It was just neither Rome nor Germany. It was just a new culture. People in left-wing classics thought it was great. This is the creation of the Dark Ages and then the Middle Ages and modern Europe. No, it was the destruction of classical civilization. It was. Yeah. And that's where we are. It's, yeah. it's, I never thought, I think all of us that are in our 60s or 70s or 80s never thought that you would live to see the things you're seeing. I never thought it would. I never thought it would be like this. I never thought that we would 
have a secretary. I never thought we'd have a secretary of the interior of the Homeland Security. I think that was a big mistake to create the post in the, after 9-11 in the first place. Because think about it. You have a what now? A secretary of Homeland Security and he's doing all he can to destroy security. So every time you make a new agency, the left looks at it as an opportunity to get a lot of money to do the exact opposite of the original mission state statement of the legislation. The Department of Justice is the Department now of Injustice. Department of Internal Revenue Service, it's no service at all. It's selectively applying the law to particular web, uh, enemies or friends. And I, I never thought I'd get like this. I always kind of laughed at people when I was in my 20s. Oh, they're just afraid of government or government this. Reagan would always say, you know, be careful when somebody knocks on the door and says, I'm from government here to serve you. Scariest thing in the English. Okay, okay, I get it. But you know what? They were prescient. Yeah. You've got sure a right. lot of people who are not elected. I mean, like millions. And they are quasi-educated. At least they're stamped with particular letters after their name, and they really do hate the people in the United States, and they feel that they're judge, jury, and executioner. And it's very scary. And uh, it's alternating the very... Everybody says, well, these are abstract. No, they're not. You can't go to San Francisco and walk around Union Square anymore. Somebody asked me the other day, are you going to go to San Francisco? I said, where would I park? Park downtown? You're going to lose your windshield. And you know what? When you lose your windshield and you call the police, they're not going to come. They're not going to come. And then everybody says, well, I just looked at my insurance, farmers, uh, State Farm. Gosh, they've, they've gone up. California casually, they've gone up 30%. Yeah, of course they do. But they've made life almost impossible to live in some certain aspects. You can see where this is going. It's going to go one of two ways. It's either going to cause a mass uh, disenchantment and disconnection with from the majority culture, kind of like the fortified farm in North Africa around 400 A.D., or it's going to cause people just to give up and flee, or it's going to cause people to resist. And I don't know which it is, but it's not sustainable. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and come back and talk a little bit about the Trump cases since they are also um, on the dock here today. Stay with us and we'll be right back. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. 
be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to the Victor Davis Hansen Show. We have a new sponsor of our show, Solar Infrared Gas Grills. After a long day, no one wants to spend an hour in the kitchen making dinner. Well, how about quick and easy barbecue? No, not takeout. I'm talking juicy steaks, succulent chicken or fish, and healthy grilled vegetables. Cook on your own solar infrared gas grill. Solar grills are the hot fast grills that heat up to a thousand degrees in just three minutes, even in the dead of winter. And that heat locks in juices and flavors and grills your food faster. A veteran-owned, multi-generational family business. Each solar grill is made in the USA. Out of quality, commercial-grade stainless steel, it will be the last grill you'll ever buy. Visit besttalkgrill.com for their free guide, How to Choose the Right Infrared Grill. For apartment balconies to backyard entertainment areas, that's besthotgrill.com. With a hot, fast solar infrared gas grill, you'll want to grill every day. Get your free guide at besthotgrill.com. That's besthotgrill.com. And that sounds like a good product, and we welcome, like I said, solar infrared gas grills as a sponsor of the Victor Davis Hansen Show. You know, before so, I continue, I was just going to think of an addendum. Okay. They had um, one rare outburst of honesty that Chris Mur- Murphy, the senator from, I think he's from Connecticut, he said the other day on TV, I was channel surfing, and he said to Chris Hayes or whoever that crazy guy is on MSNBC, who was lamenting the fact that this bill that would have given amnesty or green-lighted citizenship failed. And it's unfortunately failed. And he said, yes, that is what we've been trying to do for 30 years, is force, you know, the right to give citizenship to these illegal aliens and amnesties, and we failed. And then he said something that was really... But he said, you know what? You've got to change. Because in the old days, there was a few hundred that showed up that we were trying to give amnesty as illegal aliens for breaking the law. Now it's thousands, 10, 12,000. So what he was saying is, yeah, I'm for no borders, and I'm for amnesty, but this, this stuff we created, this Frankensteinian monster, it's devouring us, and it's destroying us, and it's going to get us... Al- elected out of, thrown out of office. It's very funny to see that guy say that, that I really want to amnesty all these people, but I can't because I have so alienated the American people that it is intolerable that they would even consider it, given that we destroyed the border for our own selfish reasons. And therefore, for me to maintain my senatorial office, I must agree that we have to try to close the board. That was, I thought that was stunning. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's turn to Donald Trump and the four cases. And just to give an update on some current news about them, 
In the Fannie Willis case, um, one of the co-defendants, David Schaefer, has filed a motion to disqualify Willis for media banter um, that made would possibly make a jury prejudicial is the argument. And then also in the D.C. case with um, by Don, Tanya Chutkin, um, sh- sh- the D.C. Circuit Court has denied Trump's immunity claims for things he said and did in office. And they said that because the election is outside of his you know, off it, what he does, then things that he said and did about election counts, et cetera, um, don't, don't apply to that immunity. So those are the two cases this week that, um, popped up. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on the current. Well, to put it in a larger context, Donald Trump is facing or has faced four indictment types of indictments. Jack Smith, the federal prosecutor, Fannie Willis, the Fulton County, Georgia prosecutor on grounds of election interference, on Alvin Bragg, campaign financing, he is the Manhattan district attorney, and Latita James, who is the attorney general of the entire state of New York, and she's after him for supposedly falsifying business records to inflate the value of his property. And then we have E. Jean Carroll, the plaintiff who sued for an allegation and one of sexual assault. Okay, let's just look at what the result of all this has been. Number one, for bad or good, fair or unfair, These suits destroyed every other Republican opponent of Donald Trump. Before they they were filed in 22 and 23, Donald Trump was running, was going to run a spirited defense of his four years, and he probably would have won, but it would have been closer. But after people saw what they were doing to him, they just said, oh my God, they are destroying the country. They're trying to emasculate a presidential candidate and ex-president. So whatever I feel about Nikki Haley or DeSantis or Chris Christie or Ramaswamy, I have to show empathy for what they're doing to Donald Trump. That was number one. Number two, they're all left-wing. Jack Smith may be an independent. His wife is left-wing. His past record is left-wing. Fannie Willis is left-wing. Alvin Bragg is left-wing. Latita James is left-wing. E. Jean Carroll is very left-wing. Number three, every single one of these indictments or plaintiffs had to massage or change the law. Okay, Jack Smith is caught charging Donald Trump not only with removing classified files to Mar-a-Lago, but insurrection on January 6th. And he's he's using the Jan, the 1868 14th Amendment statute. Does anybody believe that after the Civil War, people said, let's pass a law so that in the future, any time a ex-president who's running for re-election is uh, under intense scrutiny, the power that be in office and the opposition to him can say that his rhetoric is insurrectionary or his activity, and therefore he is 
what, guilty of insurrection and can be prosecuted. I don't think that's what they meant. It was for Confederate enlisted officers who took up arms in a formal insurrection. Whatever you think about Donald Trump's wisdom of meeting anybody on January 6th out in front of the White House and talking to them, insurrectionists do not say, and now please march peacefully and patriotically over to the Capitol. And insurrectionaries do things like grab the TV station and they're armed. That buffoonish group was not an insurrection. Closer to an insurrection was May, June, July, August, September, October 2020. So when you look at Alvin Bragg, he has to stretch the law. Does anybody believe that they that Stormy Daniels, this sexual alleged tryst was 2005. You're talking about decades ago. And what did Donald Trump do? Well, I tell you what he didn't do. He didn't hire an, a foreign national, which is illegal to work on a campaign, named Christopher Steele. He didn't use four paywalls himself, the DNC, Perkins Coie, Fusion GPS, to pay the guy off. He didn't take hammers and break up his communication devices under subpoena. He didn't lose 30,000 emails under subpoena. He didn't do any of that. He didn't try to use a dossier to make up lies about his opponent for advantage in a political campaign. No, you know what they're getting him on? He signed a non-disclosure form. So the guy is married. He has five kids. He's got a randy reputation. He now says, I'm going to run for office. It's 2015. And somebody says, hey, Donald, remember Stormy? Oh, yeah, Stormy. Yeah. Yes. But that was a decade ago. Donald, I guarantee you that if you run for office, she's going to come out of the woodwork and be used by the left. Let's get a non-disclosure agreement. So go get a non-disclosure agreement. So they did, and they paid her money. And they, of course, knew that she would break the non-disclosure agreement, what she did. But he is saying that that was a campaign finance expense that they hid. Uh, and that is a criminal Barack Obama in 2008 disguised the names of his major contributors, and that was, that was not a criminal offense. Apparently, they fined him $375,000, and he didn't have to pay until five years later, but they never put him in jail. They never, but I mean, if you're a businessman like Donald Trump and you've got this crazy Stormy Daniels that's coming after you for a supposed tryst, if he wasn't running for office just to protect his reputation or his family, he would have had a non-disclosure. So why is that a campaign violation? I can tell you why, because they didn't have anything else. And Alvin Bragg had ran, run for, real, for election on the idea he was going to get Trump. Then we have Latita James. He, she says that he falsified a record because he gave false information to a bank. And he got a loan. Okay, and then they said, Latita, who, who, who was injured? The bank has auditors. They're smarter than you. They know exactly what Mar-a-Lago and other properties are worth. So they issued a loan. But but what? He didn't pay interest? No, he paid millions of dollars of interest. Did he? Well, no, he paid the principal off. So what is the problem? There was no problem except she ran on the idea to get Donald Trump. Then we get to E.G. Carroll. She says 
Donald Trump had sex with me in 1995, no, 1994, no, 1996. And I know that because I had a, uh, a designer dress on that day. Uh, no, I didn't. It, didn't. it was not in existence. And I know it's the Bergendorf uh, 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 department store. And how do you know that? Because I saw a 2012 episode of Law and Order where a woman went into the lingerie, lingerie section and she started flirting with a very powerful man and they ended up in the fitting room, the dressing room, and there was, he said, she said, assault. And then they had a case and I saw it on, on and it was the same department store. Okay. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. <laughs> and, I, oh, by the way, I have an app that I'm trying to market, and it's called Love Game. And it's about, in my own words, how to be more evil than your opponent. And the, the calibration of evilness is how you break up couples by lying about them. Ooh, that's a good game. And so, oh, by the way, I'm out. It's now 2000. 16, and Donald Trump is running for office. And I'll, 2015, I will tweet that he's my favorite TV star. I may have been raped by him, I allege, but he's my favorite, and I watched The Apprentice. That's what she said. And then we get to 2017. The left hates him. She wants to be an icon of the left. She's on the left anyway. She says, I was sexually assaulted. And I don't know when it was, and I don't know what dress I had on. I don't know anything, but I was sexually assaulted. They said, sorry, E. Jean Carroll, that's the statute of limitations. Oh, wait a minute. There's a guy in the state legislature in New York, and he did a pretty good job. He changed the law and said that you could go after a New York person's private tax returns if he was under investigation by the federal government, and they got tax. They got Trump's tax return. He's going to make a new law. It said, just for 12 months, Gene, just for 12 months, you can file a sexual assault no matter how long ago it took place. Mm -hmm. It's a bill of attainder, basically, or ex post facto law. You know, show me the person, I'll show you the crime. Yeah. Maria's logic. And so that's how she refiled it. And then the, the, the judge didn't find rape, or the jury didn't. But he said, you know, I didn't find rape, but... It's really rape. <laughs> and then finally we, uh, we get to the third thing they all have in common. They are not only all left-wing, and they are not only all massaged uh, the laws, and they all had another thing in common. They were all big city prosecutors, and these are not going to take place in Ogden, Utah. They're not going to take place in Visalia, California. They're going to take place in New York and Washington, probably Miami and Atlanta. And they're going to have a left-wing prosecutor and a left-wing judge, and they have had left-wing judges, and a left-wing jury pool. And there's a final commonality. Oh, two more, excuse me. One, they all are trying to expedite these trials for what? The campaign season of 2024. Jack Smith's trying to do it. Letita James is trying to do it. They're all trying to do it. They're trying to make this a political thing. And finally, they all have questionable ethics problems about them. Fannie Willis hired a stealthy boyfriend, 
As Sammy said, we're just learning that they had this relationship for quite a long time, according to the divorce suit that his wife filed. And guess what? He had no felony or criminal legal experience whatsoever. So what does she do? She puts him in charge of a felony criminal case, and she pays him $250 an hour, which is more than any other of the experienced criminal felony attorneys she had. And oh, by the way, he works 24 hours a day and bills her, the state, the county of Fulton, 24 hours in one day. And by the way, she sends her prosecutors to the January 6th committee to be coached and instructed. And by the way, Nicholas Wade, her boyfriend, goes to the White House to be coached by White House counsel. And by the way, he charged them $250 an hour for their time. His time, I guess. Never heard of that before. And by the way, they went on junkets and trips and cruises, and they even built their safe house where they met up to the county of Fulton. And that is the person who is in charge and who promised to get Donald Trump. And then we go to Alvin Bragg. How is, what do we know about Alvin Bragg besides the fact that no one in the wildest dreams would think that somebody years earlier who had a embarrassing tryst and asked the paramour or the one-time hookup to sign a non-disclosure that someday in the future that would be a campaign finance violation. But it's not just a sin of commission. What is he not talking about, Alvin Bragg? He's not talking about Venezuelans going right into downtown New York and beating the holy crap out of two brave police officers and then showing up in his district attorney jurisdiction and being let out the same day only to get a bus to go to Gavin Newsom's California. That's who Alvin Bragg is. And then we come to Latita James. She ran on the same idea. Vote for me and I will get Trump. Patently political. So all of them, all of them have some type of, I don't know, questionable, dubious conflicts of interest, weaponization of the office for political reasons, statute. But what was interesting about Letita James is she can't find one precedent in New York law. She can't say, well, I'm indicting Donald Trump because even though there was no victim, he overvalued his real estate to get a loan which he paid off and profited the bank handsomely by, and which the auditors of the bank had no problem, and which the bank never filed a complaint. And that happens all the time in New York. Could she just give us one case? No. There's no precedent for it. It's like there's no precedent for non-disclosure forms being campaign finance matters. Just like there's no precedent in Fulton County. So we get to the last point I was making, that any of these crimes could be easily charged symmetrically toward to somebody on the left, i.e. somebody like the Bidens, for example, or major political figures. Don't believe me? Okay, let's go through them very, very quickly, Sammy. I know I'm going too long. Let's take E. Jean Carroll, who had a sexual alleged tryst more than 20 years ago and sexually assaulted a woman who then came forward years later. 
It couldn't be Tara Reid, could it? who said that she was a senatorial staffer for Joe Biden. And once Joe Biden ran for president, she came out of the woodwork and said, you know what? He sexually assaulted me. And I get I, I talked to people and, you know, her mother called into Larry King and said, my daughter's been sexually assaulted at the time. So what happened? Did Joe Biden have to pay her? I don't know, 83 million bucks. Was he convicted of he wasn't even charged? OK, and let's go to how about Fannie Willis, election denialism in Georgia? Who sued the state of Georgia and tried to stop the legitimate inauguration of the, the governor of Georgia in 2018? Couldn't be Stacey Abrams, could it? Remember, she lost by 50,000 votes, and she said that it was election fraud. And then she not only sued, she created a pack and raised money to litigate forever this 2008 lost. She ran again, of course, and lost again by a wider margin. But the point is, after 2008, she spread her denialism all over the country. She became an iconic pop figure to the left. Stacy, the one who was robbed, she did a lot of damage challenging the integrity of Georgia. Did anybody charge her with conspiracy? No. No one did. Okay, now we're getting into... Latita James and altering records and insufficient records for uh, business transactions. Joe Biden, the same day that his brother got, uh, is it four or $600,000 from a foreign entity, he wrote a check for $200,000 to Joe Biden and he wrote on the bottom loan repayment. <laughs> I'm going to well, do that from now on. <laughs> exactly. So all we have to do is, will the Biden family please not backdate it, just show us a formal loan agreement? No. And so I, I'm, ass I'm assuming that Letita James will say, oh, my God, if Donald Trump did not commit a crime and he paid off his loan, but I found that his bookkeeping was fraudulent, then I want to see also this. No. No. So we've done Greg. We've done oh Carol. We did Fannie Willis. Not symmetrical. Election denialism. Oh, there's one more. Jack Smith. So he's going to indict Trump, or he did, on two general areas. Insurrectionary activity and earlier taking classified documents. Whatever you say about Donald Trump, you can say he's sloppy. He's careless. But he had the legal right. All he would have had to do is, I'm taking these documents out, and as President of the United States, I formally declassify them. And he could have filed the necessary paperwork. Cash Patel was on and said basically he can do it de facto by, you know. And I think he said something to the effect that Trump spoke to a lot of people, take them out, they're declassified. But that's not, you know, authorized to do that. But he had the power. Joe Biden did not have the power to do that. He took them out as a senator. He took them out as a vice president. He put them in three or four different locations. Does anybody think that Joe Biden's Corvette rickety garage with Hunter coming in and out was more secure than Mar-a-Lago with a security guard outside the estate and completely walled and fenced with Secret Service agents there? I don't think it was. And yet they they didn't have they. Are they going to find it? Are they going to, uh, there's a special counsel. You they, think he, does anybody believe he'll indict Joe Biden? They finished their investigation, but I doubt they'll indict him. He's not going to indict him. 
It's just good old Joe from Pennsylvania. He's not going to indict him at all. And you know what? There was some allegations that some of the material may have turned up on on some of the communications that Hunter used to impress his foreign clients, as if he, as if he had. And why did he take them out as a senator? I think he took them out so that he could go around the Biden family and say, did you know in this particular country, this, 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 as if they had expertise that was saleable. Yeah. And so there was, no, there was no symmetry there at all. And does anybody really believe about insurrection? Does Donald Trump, you know, they're getting him off the ballot. Was he ever charged with insurrection? I don't remember he was. Has he ever been convicted of insurrection? Okay, so he's been called... Uh, an insurrectionist by Mr. Smith, and he's going to indict him for his January 6th activity when he not only said, assemble peacefully and patriotically, but he said, you have to fight like hell. I guess that's what it did. And then he had people around him that kept saying that we can stop. You know, John Eastman said, you have a right for the elector to have an alternate slate of elector, all that. Okay. If that's insurrectionary, then this is insurrectionary. In 2004, Barbara Boxer and over 30 House members refused to certify the Electoral College count from the state of Ohio. And that was deliberate. They would have done it from every state, but they only needed to do it from one because that was the determining electoral vote in the 2004, and they wanted to throw the election to John Kerry. I don't know. Did anybody say that's insurrectionary? In 2016... The Democrats and the left raised millions of dollars for a coordinated campaign to have false electors, counterfeit elect electors, unfaithful electors, electors. What does that mean? That means that each elector from the state, the electors, takes an oath to honor the popular vote. So they thought, well, maybe they don't have to honor the popular vote. So we're going to run ads on TV nonstop before the... December meeting of the electors, and we're going to try to convince them that Donald Trump is so bad that they have a constitutional duty to break the constitution of their states and the federal government and switch over and give their electors to... Did, they, did Jack Smith or anybody come out of the woodwork? So that's racketeering. That's interstate fraud. That is unconstitutional. That is insurrection. I don't remember that. And some of you say... Well, Victor, it wasn't so much what they did, it was what Trump said. He kept saying that Trump, the, 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 the election was fraudulent. He it, it kept saying that, you know, he revved up that crowd on January. Yes, okay, did he say this? Right after people had been swarming the White House grounds, after they torched a federal courthouse, after they had torched a po police precinct, after they had torched an iconic church and and Lafayette Square. Did they say this? These stop, the, I'm sorry, these are not going to stop. These protests are not going to stop, nor should they stop. These protests are going to go on, and they're going to go on. They're going to go on beyond the election. They're not going to stop, and they shouldn't stop. Did he say that? No, that was, that was Kamala. <laughs> that was Kamala Harris. Is anybody going to say, you know, I look back, and now that we have a precedent, that if you say you have to fight like hell to a, an assembled crowd that is insurrectionary, and I just saw that Kamala Harris did the same thing on television even, with even a bigger audience than just assembled there. So we're going to charge her with insurrection. No, they're not going to do that. So if these people are of questionable character 
and they're applying the law in an asymmetrical fashion, usually that hasn't been used before, and there's ample democratic and left-wing legal exposure for the same crime, and they have, in many cases, personal ethics problems, or they've committed crimes themselves, like Fannie Willis, no doubt, then nobody has any confidence in it. And that's why Donald Trump soared from his rock bottom, I don't know, July, August 2021, he was at rock bottom. And then they looked at this, and they looked at this, and they looked at this, and then they said, oh my God, we went through di laptop disinformation, we went through Russian collusion, we went through Axios bank pinging. Oh my God, now we're into ballot removal in Colorado. What enough is enough. And they created, the, they gave Trump a comeback. You know, it, just to finish this rant, this is the most amazing political comeback, resurrection in modern times. It outdoes Richard Nixon. And in, in 1960, Richard Nixon lost one of the closest popular votes, if not the closest popular vote in history. There was wide-scale accusations in some counties in Texas that LBJ, who was running as JFK's vice president, had some influence, or Cook County and Mayor Daley, who knows. But he did not contest it, and he was ridiculed as a loser. And then two years later, he went out to California, where he was born. They called him a carpetbagger, and he lost to Pat Brown, Jerry's dad, 1962. Remember that famous press conference? I want to tell everybody that you should be very happy because you're not going to have Dick Nixon to kick around. This is my last press conference. And he was done. They said, he's done. He's all over with. And guess what happened? He started looking at the fact that Kennedy was assassinated, that LBJ was a mess, the country was divided. And he's, he was a very smart guy. He'd started going around to all the House races and conservative districts and at his time and his own expense, he started campaigning. And he created a lot of solid friendships, which he had anyway from a lifetime in politics. And it came around in 1968, he got the nomination, and he narrowly beat Hubert Humphrey. I won't get into Watergate, but nobody thought that was possible. There was another one, Ronald Reagan. People forget in 1968, when I just mentioned Nixon had the entire convention sewed up, Ronald Reagan did a last-minute ambush. He went to the convention and said, Hey, wait a minute. Maybe we can, we can have a, a contested con convention, and you guys can throw the, the, the delegates to me. And he said, No, Ronnie, you've only been governor for two years. You're 57. You've got plenty of time. And he lost. And then he was governor from 66 to 74, I guess. And he decided wait a minute, I'm going to run for governor again. I'm only 65 years old. So in 1976, Jerry Ford, who had been appointed president, elevated from vice president when Nixon resigned, facing impeachment, probably would have been impeached. Guess what happened? Ronald Reagan said, I'm going to run. And Reagan was wiped out for the first five primaries. They said, ah, he's too right-wing, he's too populist, nationalist. Kind of like, you know, make America great, point 1.0. And then Reagan caught fire as the primaries went to the South, and he came into the convention, and there was only about 60 to 80 delegates separating them. 
And it came down very close, but Reagan lost at the convention. He could not sway other delegates. And they said, you know what, Reagan? You've now run for president twice. You're 65 years old. And what did Jerry Ford do? He said, damn it, Reagan, you're going to cost me the election because you contested an incumbent president. How dare you? It tore the Republican Party apart. Are you a loyalist going to support the incumbent, or are you going to go with this crazy reactionary populist out in California? So then we had Jimmy Carter, and it was an ungodly disaster, as everybody knows. So in 1980, 1980, Reagan is 69, and people said, this can't happen. The guy would be 78 years old, 77 years old if he had two terms in that, in that era. That era, almost a half century ago, a septuagenarian was an octogenarian or more now. Said, no, he's too old. And by the way, we have a sober and judicious Republican, George H.W. Bush. He's got the best resume you can imagine. Congress, CIA, everything. He's done everything. And he's very careful. He's not one of these crazy right-wing nuts. And Reagan's too old. And Reagan, you know, started a little bit slow, and he creamed George H.W. Bush, and he came back, and they said he can't win. He cannot win. There is no way that the Republican Party can put up a right-wing Goldwater 2.0 and beat an incumbent Democratic president. And Reagan said, yeah, I can win. Every time they asked him about the hostages that Carter would mumble and bumble about, he said, there will be no hostages when I'm president. What? What does that mean? There will be no hostages when I'm president. Are you going to start World War III? There will be no hostages when I'm president. And they called him, they called you voodoo economics. You, you can't cut, I will cut the tax rate to 28. I will starve the beast. Okay, sounds crazy. And guess what? On October 14th, Ooh, wow, just two weeks before the 1980 election, everybody thought Reagan had it won. No, 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 he did not. According to, I think it was a Gallup poll, Reagan was seven points behind Jimmy Carter two weeks before the election. I don't believe it was accurate, but he won. So here you had a guy that was written off in 68, considered a kook, uh, and... You know, when he tried to take the nomination in 76, an old has-been in 80, and who's going to lose the election two weeks before, who's now president? And yet, Donald Trump, when you look at him in mid-2021, you could say the following. Donald Trump is now hated. He lost the election. He came in with the House and the Senate. He lost the House. And now we have one last chance to get the Senate on January 5th, the day before. We need to get Purdue and Loeffler elected, re-elected. And this aid, people said, of course they'll be re-elected. You think that Georgia is a red state, man. They're not going to... Look at this also often Warnick. They are communists. They're not going to elect two people in Georgia. And what did Trump do? I, there's no chance. They rigged everything in Georgia. I made a phone call and I lost Georgia by 12,000 votes. And the whole thing. And he basically sent a subtle message to his MAGA people. Don't show up. 
It's not worth it. And by the way, Purdue had won in the general election just months earlier, but he didn't get quite a majority. He just fell short by a few thousand votes. Loeffler was considered an appointee. You know, she was taking Jeff Sessions. No, not Jeff Sessions. Another person's place who had retired, and she was considered pretty good, kind of a Wall Street creature. So guess what? He also alienated the, the independent and the moderate. I can't vote for these people. They're, they have, you know, it's this Republican Party. It's It's just... It's embarrassing me. So he, he offended both spectrums of the Republican Party, and they lost. They didn't just lose. They lost the Senate. And so what did everybody say? I went back and looked at the media the other day. They said, oh, my God, Donald Trump lost, lost the Georgia Senate races. It's his fault, and he lost the Republicans the Senate. And you know what? People also editorial. I was looking at six or seven editorial. They basically said this. Donald Trump can survive being crazy. He can be survive being ridiculed as a far right nut. He can be. He cannot survive being tagged as a loser, and he lost the House and the Senate, and now the presidency. He gave both houses of Congress, and and then guess what? The indictment started the next year, and he was at zero. Credibility, and he was all through, just like Nixon and Reagan. And then guess what happened? The indictments turned out the opposite of everybody, what they thought. They thought they would embarrass him, mar him. No, they gave him empathy, and he soared ahead. And the more they tried to rig the, the judicial system and commit lawfare against them, the better he looked. And then guess what happened? It was not ju- good old Joe from Scranton. It was good Joe Biden who skedaddled from Afghanistan, the biggest humiliation in American history. It was Joe Biden who inherited a stable Middle East and blew it up, just like he blew up a stable border and Putin invaded and there was a Chinese balloon. And we saw the greatest spike in inflation in 40 years. And there was a crime rate that was surreal when criminals were just smashing and grabbing. And you know the story. And Joe Biden turned out to be not good old Joe, but non compos mentes who believes he talks to dead people, and all of a sudden Donald Trump is leading Joe Biden in polls from anywhere from three to seven points in swing states, and nationally as well. That's the greatest comeback, and we don't know how it's going to end. No. But, my God, the Democrats must be really wondering, why did we shoot ourselves in the foot? We thought we could destroy him financially, physically, psychologically, politically, and all we did was give him more, more ammunition and more empathy about the terrible things we've done to the country. Yeah. Well, Victor, you just gave the outline of a really good book that should be written. I, maybe someday we'll see that. I am going to write it. I'm just Are gonna you going to write it? Yes. Everything I said today, I promised my leaders that came to me in a fit. I'm going to uh, issue the case for Trump and with a new, not just a stupid little This is an update, because I don't think people should have to pay for just the same book when you put a little preface. I'm talking about 10,000 words. I'm going to write the whole thing out and tell everybody how he came back. And that will be out, I hope. Because I I think it's really a a historic occasion. I I won't mention names. I'm not going to mention names. But I I did interviews for that six-month period, and I can tell you that some of the most stalwart 
Trump supporters, unwavering loyal, said that something like off the air in the commercial break, I'm not going to vote for him. He's embarrassed me. I'm not going to vote for Trump. And six months to a year later, they said, my God, if we don't have him, we don't, we're not going to save the country. Something happened. And it wasn't, you know, it, I, I want to add one last little um, fill-up to it. It wasn't that Donald Trump was just a passive figure. A lot of things he did, he has a far more professional team around him than he did in 2016 and 20. He is more experienced. He's been through it twice. He's governed four years. And there are moments when Donald Trump is really state. If you listen to that Iowa speech, you can see why MSNBC and CNN stopped it. They didn't air it because it was really wonderful. If he had given one on New Hampshire like it, it would have been wonderful even more so. But he's a much more effective candidate. You know what? They, and every time they try to destroy him, like getting him off Twitter, he just has his own true social, but he doesn't have 88 million people, you know, hanging on every word that he says. So he has, uh, I guess what I'm saying, it's in his own hands now. He has, he's, he's in charge of his own destiny. He can be elected president. He has no margin of error, but if he, he does everything right, he can be elected president. And that would be just unthinkable. Yeah. A few months earlier. Well, Victor, we need to take a break, and then we'll come back and talk about. And now I feel like this is sort of a, a, a downer that we'll come back and talk about Mayor Eric Adams. So stay with us, and we'll be right back. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. We're back. Victor, there's a new film out from the New York Times bestselling author Eric Metaxas comes a riveting new film, Letter to the American Church. The film explores the parallels between the 1930s Nazi Germany and Mao and Stalin regimes and the infiltration of the cultural Marxism in America today. The church's decision to stay out of politics undermines the very message of the gospel and its power to transform human existence. Metaxas issues an urgent call to the church. Stay silent and abandon its mission of proclaiming liberty or stand up to the forces of evil. Join Eric and several leading voices of today as they explain how America and her church are at the precipice of destruction and need to wake up and take action. Don't miss this film, streaming February 8th on Epoch TV, part of the Epoch Times. Visit 
lettertotheamericanchurch.com for more information. Letter to the American Church, this film is not yet rated. So, Victor, our mayor, Eric Adams, is trying to sell the New York City population on $53 million for cards to these illegal immigrants, and he is getting bad press because of that, and he said that all the people who are giving him bad press are just racist, and that's all. And he said that right no, at the he same... No, he He said they would look at all the chocolate. Yes, at, while he was standing in a meeting and he had just said one of the most racist things I've heard. Look, we have chocolate on the bench here as my um, office, my executive branch. And he's kind of like Joe Biden, if you think about him. He just says really racist things and then he thinks it's okay, I guess. But besides that, the whole idea that you're going to give illegal aliens $53 million. You know, the funny thing was, I watched one of these television shows and they went out and interviewed New Yorkers and they were all black that were criticizing Mayor Adams. <laughs> well, all I can say is human nature is based on deterrence. Deterrence means that you you behave accordingly. For some people, deterrence is going to help. For some reasons, it's shaming your family. For some reasons, it's your, you don't want to risk your health. You don't want to drive 90 miles an hour because you might get in a wreck or you might drive get a traffic ticket or you might be embarrassed. But there, human nature being what it is, it has to be deterred. But when you take any group, white, black, Latino, and you give them special exemption and say, you know what, we owe you, we're guilty, we owe you as a collective. We as a collective owe you as a collective, and you, 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 you erode deterrence. So what is happening is, when you have these DEI issues, you think that's the beginning? Excuse me, the end it is only the beginning because you have to go down the same line. So what Eric Adams is basically saying, I was ran as a black candidate. And I mean that literally. He said that he, do you remember that campaign statement, Sammy, where he said, I vote for me, I took on the crackers and the police department, crackers? And no one said anything. So he was going to be the, the minority candidate and he was going to be the left-wing person and he got rid of that. Andrew Cuomo was an arrival. And then when the first bus pulled in in August of, what, 2022 with migrants, what did he do? Remember he went out and he met them with water bottles and yes. bragged about this was the most diverse city, so diverse people would love it. And then all of a sudden he was swarmed. So now things are not going for him. Alvin Bragg has helped his uh, popularity crash. Uh, Latita James has helped his... And so guess what? Everybody says he's a terrible mayor, and he is. So what does he do? He says, well, this can't be because I got elected on the basis of racial demagoguery, and so I'm going to keep doing it. And that's what he did. If you think he's unique, you've got a sad idea. No, Claudine Gay. Has anybody become president of Harvard with a, nine articles and not a single book? You can't even be tenured at Cal State with that record, speaking as a Cal State former professor. But she was. And she rode the stallion of DEI till she was worn out. And guess what? It blew up. And 
people said, you know what? The question is not why she was fired, but why was she even hired as a president? She is a serial plagiarist. Nobody dared to look at her record because she was a black woman. And what did she do? She said it was racist. <laughs> this is racist that they're firing. No, it was racist when they hired you. Racist when we hired you. And then what did uh, Fannie Willis say the other day? They found out that she was channeling state money to her boyfriend that she tried to hide after she'd given lectures when she ran for office about no boyfriends. <laughs> and guess what? They had a little safe house, all of that stuff. And when they called her out and it's racist, or they always say the same thing, these racial demagogues. They always say they're scared of a proud black woman. I'm a powerful black woman. And that frightens people. Michelle Obama said that at one point. No, it doesn't. It just You're just a woman, and you just happen to be black. Big deal. No deal. Big deal. It's like a powerful white woman. Who cares? Unpowerful. Weak white. It doesn't matter. It's what you do. And if you plagiarize somebody's work and you pass it off as your own, you're a thief. And if you're at Harvard University that lectures everybody that you are the standard, the benchmark, the gold standard of education, and the president is a thief, an intellectual thief, you, it's unsustainable. It has nothing to do with you. And if you're Fannie Willis, all you have to do, you're elected, is not channel $650,000 to the guy you're secretly screwing, who has no criminal or felony experience, that you put in charge of a criminal felony case while you were using funds to buy a safe house to hook up with him. Just don't do that. It's all you have to do, and you can't even do that. If you're Eric Adams, just balance the budget. If you don't like the immigrants coming in and swarming your, then go to your president. And you know what? You don't have to be a flack for the Turkish government either. Now you're under possible indictment because you were doing favors for the Turkish government getting paid. Just don't do that. It has nothing to do with your race. You have a mayor and. Michigan, who says that she was, what, she was getting $250,000, and she said it's all, when they looked at her lavish, it was because of racism. Every, it doesn't, you know, it's like you're looking at a train that is amok, and there's no way of stopping it, and you know where it's going, it's going off the cliff, and you want to say to left-wing black officials don't do this because you don't know how you sound when every time you do something wrong and then you blame other people for it by calling them racist you have destroyed the term racism it means nothing and don't do this and contrast this with other people i know this sounds partisan but i don't remember byron donald's congressman from florida very articulate i don't remember him doing it I had lunch for 15 years every two weeks with Tom Sowell. Not once, not once did he say, oh, they're after me because I'm black. He said they were after him because he was a conservative, like a lot of conservatives, maybe conservative and black by other blacks, but he never, ever said that. I've known Shelby Steele for the same amount of time. He's had some health problems. He's a brilliant guy, but anytime he felt criticism, he never said, it's the racist. He said, they're white guilt. 
they suffer from white guilt, and therefore they use that, they're paranoid about being called a racist, so they try to dump on black conservatives, yes, but he didn't blame anybody. And, you know, I think that's really important to see that this is not a black phenomenon, it is a black left-wing elite white guilt-driven phenomenon. And what's hopefully, if any good from this can come out of it, is you will have a gradual shift of the black community to 50-50 politics, and the people on the center-right side of the spectrum will be confident, uh, like I think more conservatives are more confident, and they won't have to mention their race. It'll be incidental, not essential. But it's getting very old for these people to use race as a political weapon. Yeah, sure, especially when they're committing crimes. (laughs) This is is 2024. We are 50, 60, 70 years into the civil rights. We're in the third, fourth generation from the late 50s and 1960s. We have a whole, we have grandmothers now who were beneficiaries of affirmative action. I understand that people are people and birds of a feather flock together, as Plato said, and all of this stuff, but... Uh, it's not, it's not, it's not Jim Crow, and this idea that it's always Jim Crow and that you own—it's not sustainable. And all you're doing, if you're Fannie Willis or you're Eric Adams or you're Claudia, you're just alienating a lot of people, and you're embarrassing your own allies when you do that. It's just, you know, yeah. it's, it's. I can remember when I went to Stanford University. I was twenty, just ready to turn 21 as a Ph.D., and I had only had three or four years of Greek and Latin at UC Santa Cruz, nothing in high school. And my father said, how are you doing in graduate school? I said, be fine, but I, all these kids have had prep school, a lot of them. Well, what does that matter? That's what he said to me. Who cares? It's what you do now. Just out-study them. Don't mind to me. That's, that was his attitude. It was the best advice I ever had. As he said that about everything. And then I noticed that, you know, there was a guy there, just to get off topic, Lawrence Woodlock. And he was probably the most brilliant classical scholar I ever met. He was a Green Beret from a very poor family. His father had been killed in the Korean War. He grew up with a single parent. I never heard, he was he suffered from diabetes. I never heard him whine one bit. Did he go to prep school? No, his prep school was uh, helping the Hmong fight communists and getting wounded in Vietnam. And guess what? When he took his Greek exam, it was perfect. We all said, Larry, you don't know Latin as well. Ha ha, wait till you get to the Latin. Perfect. Everything was perfect. Brilliant. Never complained about anything. And he went through hell in Vietnam. So uh, that's the attitude. That's the American attitude that can do. And I can mention that to so many people. I had a good friend that just died, John Bailey of Illinois, wonderful person, saintly. And I, he, in one year before he died, he just passed away, but about three years earlier, he had the following, Burkitt's lymphoma. He was walking in an intersection in Chicago and broke his thigh, his thigh, his th- and he had prostate cancer, all in one. And I called him and I said, John, man, I feel so bad. Oh, don't worry about it. I'm here. And I said, you sound like Nietzsche. And he knew exactly what I said. Anything that doesn't kill me, Victor, makes me stronger. <laughs> I and like so, that. I mean, yeah, I mean, 
and I, you know, that's, that's the attitude. That's the kind of person that makes a nation, that's not a bunch of whiners, right? right? Is what you seem to be saying to me. I, I it is. It is. And that's what I remember growing up about Martin Luther King's message. And that's what I, I took away from almost every black person I had met. And gosh, I went to high school in an almost exclusively Mexican-American community, and there was not very many black kids. But when I think back at Cecil Thompson or Eloise Thompson or the entire Thompson family, I didn't have a lot of money, but I remember when our Ford tractor broke down, my grandfather would always say, I'm going to get on the phone and call Mr. Thompson. He's an authorized Ford mechanic. He would come out here and... My grandfather, who didn't know really much of, he was from the horse age, he'd said, oh, my God, the 9-in or the Jubilee doesn't work. And Mr. Thompson, don't worry, Mr. Davis, we will, I will figure it out. And I would, my grandfather would sometimes he'd say, you're out here, Victor, go, go look at Mr. Thompson out there. Just look at that man work. It's amazing. He had like nine or ten kids. They were all brilliant. And I know that he was subject to discrimination as being almost the only black family in a Hispanic and white community, but my God, he was talented. Yeah. And he was proud, and he was like, that was what I always thought, that was what the whole civil rights movement was about. It wasn't about plagiarizing somebody's work and then blaming everybody as being a racist because they have to let you go as president of Harvard or coming as an immigrant to the United States and going to Phillips Exeter Academy and then getting a scholarship to go to Princeton, then going a scholarship to go to Stanford, then being hired right out at Stanford, then getting early tenure, then going back to... I don't see how anybody has been racist to Claudine Gay. And for her to invoke that defense was pathetic. It was, it was awful. And I, I just... I hope we can get back to that earlier appreciation for the black communities I remember growing up was the most self-reliant, independent, at least rural, where I grew up with. And uh, they were models. Well, Victor, we're at the end of our show, and I would like to read one of the comments from Apple Podcasts. It says, Hello, VDH. Thank you for another enlightening podcast. Let's pray we get a conservative leader and not an empty suit, or worse yet, a fourth term of Obama with his merry band of axe grinders. Looking forward to your Saturday shows as my brain needs a rest from the daily destruction of our country and the world. I like it. That is a witty letter, almost almost nonchalantly. He just assumes we all know, and he's that's really sharp thing to say. The fourth Obama term. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Nobody no pretense, says no pretense that there is a Biden presidency. Presidency, no, not at all. Well, I, like I mean, that. just I like recently, that. Biden told us he had a conversation with Francois Mitterrand. You know what I like about doing this show <laughs> is I read these comments, even that some of the, not that the crazy angry readers, but some of the angry readers. But you get the impression that the people listening are smarter than you are. You know, they know everything. And I really appreciate that because I yeah. get so many letters about mispronouncing a word or something. And they're right. They're right. So it's good to have a very, I like a combative, intelligent 
or maybe a superior intelligent audience. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks to all of our listeners, and um, thanks to you, Victor. It was a, a, a fascinating show. My gosh, you told us a whole book worth of information. We so. have to get to Xenophon, too, everybody. We're looking for <laughs> Xenophon's Hellenica memorabilia yeah. uh, coming up on our Saturday show. Saturday show. Thanks to everybody. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hansen, and we're signing off.